Father, may you still our hearts. I pray that you would minister to each individual person that's here this morning. Specifically, Father, that you would reach into their hearts, Lord, and, and satisfy that question that they have this morning. Whether that's the truth in your word, whether they should be in church, if it's family, if it's what's going on in the world, whatever it might be, Father, as you took simple fish and bread and broke it up to feed so many, you can do that for us. So, Lord, we just pray this morning that you would prepare our hearts. Make us ready to hear what you have to say to us. And that, Father, our focus would not necessarily be on the presentation, but what the words say. Not what the preacher has to say, but what your word has to say to us and to our hearts. And, Father, may we apply it May we make it relevant to what's going on in our world, in our corner of the world. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know that song, Jesus is the only place we have peace. We can't find it in the world. We, we can't find it even with each other. I know a lot of times we think, well, if I had this person in my life or that person in my life or a different person in my life, then I would have that peace and I would have that joy. But if you can't find it inside, it's not going to come from the outside. It's just not, it's not going to happen. And folks, that happens by a change of heart, a change of direction, a change of who we may have been in the past. And uh, that is not something you can muster up. It's not something you can just say, hey, I'm going to be a more benevolent person. I'm going to be a more loving person. I'm going to be a more kind individual. It has to be something that comes from the Lord. And it replaces some of those things, those issues that you struggle for in life. And I know that even in my life, I had so many questions. Well, God, if you're God, why this? And God, how come you allowed this in my life? And Lord, how come it was... And then finally, when I just submitted, I finally just gave in and said, I'm not God, you're God, and Father, I submit to your will and your purposes. It all started to click. It all started to make sense. And I was also able to look back on my life and some of the things that occurred, some of the events, some of the, just even where our, the family I was born into, all of that, I began to appreciate because it all makes you who you are today. But that can make you really bitter if you don't understand that there's a purpose for that. There was a reason for that. You can look at it and become extremely bitter and feel like God did you dirty. Or you can give him your life and you can begin to see how he molded it, how he shaped it, how he put it there, and yes, even the tough times. I mean, you might look at that and say, yeah, you think God's good all the time? Absolutely. He is a good God. Now, you're going to see the title this morning is not Transformed by Grace. It is the tale of two vessels. So I'm not quite sure how we... There we go. The tale of two vessels. Now, you know what a vessel is, right? It's a container. It's just a container. And I'm sure even around your home, you have vessels of honor and you have vessels of dishonor. You have a bowl that you have your favorite ice cream in, right? Or your favorite spaghetti or your favorite whatever that's, that's a vessel of honor. And then you have one that you eat onions out of. That's a vessel of dishonor. No, I'm just kidding. For those of you that know me, you know I don't like onions. So, Well, I could give you another example, but it's closer to the bathroom. That would be a vessel of dishonor, right? You have vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor. So right out of the chute, I want to ask, if you had to give an answer for what kind of vessel you are, which one would you be? Which one would you say that you are, that you're a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor? Now, I want you to compare that not to other people you know, because that's where we make mistakes is comparing it horizontally. 
and saying, well, I'm better than this person, I'm better than that one, I do this, I do this, I have some good characteristics. That really is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what God formed you to be, what God made you to be. You're not an accident, no matter what, no matter what you might think. You were created by the Lord for a purpose, for a reason. And the path that you choose is up to you. God's done all the work. That's already been taken care of. That path is already set, and we can either choose it or we can choose another path. And a lot of times, growing up in life, we just choose the wrong path. But I think every time we hear what God has to say in this, it's an opportunity to change that path. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what you've, where you've come from, doesn't matter what your past is, it's an opportunity for you to change that path. None of us, none of us, not one person in this room is better than any of the others. None of us. God can do an amazing thing in your life if you will just let him do it. And you know, the first time you say, God, I surrender, I finally want to do what you want me to do, all those doors kind of begin to open. Now God is free to be able to use you in the way that you were created to be used, in a good sort of way. George Washington said, it is better to be alone than in bad company. I'll say that again. It is better to be alone than in bad company. Now, if I ask a show of hands and I ask you how many of you turned a corner, junior high, high school, because of bad company, there would be a lot of hands go up. And I won't do this, but if I ask you now how many of you are still in that bad company, there would still be a few hands that would go up. You see, while we were sinners, while we were still sinning freely and openly and enjoying it, so we thought, we created a lot of bad habits. And those bad habits can kind of stay with you for a very long time. Mark Twain said, it's better to deserve honor than to not have them, excuse me, it's better to deserve honors and not have them than to have them and not deserve them. I think we see that in our world today, don't we? Don't we see people in places of honor that don't deserve to be there? Everywhere, in every step of life, in every organization, you see people that have those honors, but they don't deserve to have them there. As a bit of a recap of chapter 8, he just finished, the Apostle Paul just finished one of the most beautiful sections of Scripture. Of course, they're, it's all beautiful, but I really like Romans 8 especially Romans 8, 28 and 29. But let me give you a brief summary. He told us that the entire creation groans while we wait for Jesus' return. Now, what does that mean? Have you ever noticed that sin just, it's just there? You don't have to plan to sin. It just, it just kind of creeps up on you. Scripture says we're born into sin. A lot of people have a hard time with that. But you know, even your little ones, even your little ones, they, they don't come out as babies and go, hi, mom, hi, dad. They come out screaming and yelling and demanding that you feed them and diaper them and take care of them. When they hit that young age, you don't have to tell them no. They don't come into you and say, hey, can I go wash the car? No, you can't, son. You just need to quit asking about all that good stuff and you just need to be bad here for a couple days. It's like you're training them constantly to be productive, right? To be an honest-to-goodness citizen if you can. You try to give them and share morals with them. So we stand in the hope that righteousness will be restored. Now, I know we look at everything right now and we're going, when, Lord? Well, they did in Egypt. They've done that. God's people have done that from the beginning of time. When, Lord, when? I'm praying for a revival. I hope that we see a revival. I hope that, that God gives us one more chance to turn things around. But you know what? Even if it's when he returns, that's okay. Because we know that righteousness has won. We know that God has won. Regardless of what's going on in the world, we know that he is our hope. He also talked in chapter 8 about the Holy Spirit and how there's times we don't even know how to pray. Have you ever been that distraught? You know, you're, you're so 
upset. Maybe you're weeping. Maybe your heart's broken and you know you need to pray, but you go in and try to pray and you start praying and it's back, it's back over here on this thing. And, and you go to pray again and it's back over on this thing. And you go to pray. It, it just, it's just hard to get focused. And he tells us that the Holy Spirit prays for us. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm glad that God can interpret tears. I'm glad that God can interpret a broken heart. I'm glad that God can interpret loneliness. I'm just, because sometimes there's just not words. You just can't find them. He's told us also in Romans 8, 28 and 29 that all things work together for good for God's kids. Now that is especially meaningful for me. Because as some of you know, I have a little, Becky and I have a special needs little grandson. And uh, they didn't give him much hope when he was born. He has a trisimony, what? Trisimony three, that's what it is. It's a, a birth defect. And they didn't give him much hope of living and there were those who wanted to just tell the parents, hey, you just shouldn't have him. But when they had him, they, Rom- they named him Roman after Romans 8.28. So I just can't see Romans 28, 8.28 and 29 without thinking of what a beautiful little guy this little guy is. I mean, he's just an amazing little guy. Yes, he's got some things he's going to have to work with all of his life, but he is so loving and so gentle and so kind and so, he's just a wonderful little boy. And uh, my son sent us a video yesterday and uh, he's doing far more than they ever thought that he would do, but he had pulled himself up to the kitchen counter and he was standing there and on the side of the refrigerator was a picture of Becky and I. And he had pulled himself up on the edge of the counter and he was touching that picture of Nana and Papa. You know, (laughs) I'll move on, but I just want you to know sometimes beautiful, wonderful things come out of circumstances that you wouldn't necessarily want. But to see that pure, pure love, he doesn't know what sin is. Can you imagine what it would be like to have a little uh, four-year-old guy, five-year-old guy that doesn't know what sin is? That he's never intentionally sinned because he doesn't have any, any clue what that is? And that whatever action or reaction he has is just pure. It's not motivated out of anything else. So good things can happen even when things are tough. And then he tells us in Romans 8.29 that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why would we want to be separated? Why would we want to turn back and go back to the old things when God has given us a brand new life? Exchange the old with new. And let's face it, folks. We can't, we can't go on a category of saying, well, I, I'm really bad. No, we're just sinners. Well, you don't understand. I'm worse than most. No, you're not. We're just sinners. That means missing the mark. We've just missed the mark of Jesus Christ. And God extends the hand of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy to anyone who will take that path to, to decide what kind of vessel they want to be. Okay, pray with me and we're going we're gonna to start. Father, thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. We love you. We pray that you give us what we need this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, look at verse 1 in chapter 9. I tell the truth in Christ. Now remember, he's going to be turning his attention towards his brethren, the Jews, right? And he wants to see them saved. His heart breaks for them. And he says there, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Why? He says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Now, this is interesting because you, if you are born again and you are saved, you know how valuable that is to you. It means everything to you. It means eternity 
for you. It means absolutely everything. And Paul says, if I could, if I could, I'd give up my own relationship with Christ to see my fellow Jews come to know the Lord. How many of us would do that? We have a hard time giving up 20 bucks. <laughs> Much less giving up our salvation for the sake of someone else. That's how much he loves them. He wants them to know that he loves them. Then he says, my countrymen according to the flesh. And then he says in verse 4, who are Israelites to who pertain the adoption, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. So he's saying all of these things that you've held on to for your whole life, that covenant with Abraham, you... You've been, giving the, you've been given those things, but he's going to tell them you're, you're too much caught up in the legalism of it. You're too much caught up in it and not the love and the mercy and the grace of God. You're too much caught up in the law and not in the liberty that God's given to you. But liberty is not free. I want to make sure that I, that I say that here. And then he says in verse 5, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Jesus Christ came, through the genealogy, who is overall the eternally blessed God, amen. Now, let's be honest, guys. How many of you would give up your salvation for the people in Arizona? Now, if I say your family, your brother, sister, mom, dad, you might, you might be willing. But he says he'll, he would be willing to do this for his countrymen. How many of us would be willing to give up our faith for the people in Arizona to be able to come to know Jesus Christ? I tell you what, I've been in the Lord a long time, but I'd have to really wrestle with that one. Because I would look at that and go, how many don't deserve it? I wouldn't be giving up my salvation for the good people. I'd be giving up my salvation for the bad people. Aha. Do you get the connection all the way to the cross? Jesus gave up his life, not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. Not for the perfect, but for the sinners like all the rest of us. Now, Paul's love is sincere. I, I firmly believe his love is sincere. But I also know that Paul is secure in the Lord. He also knows what is his in the Lord. And we're going to be able to, to take care of that here in a minute. Because in Romans 8, 20, excuse me, Romans 8, 38 and 39, he says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, or things to come, nor the height, nor depth, nor the other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, many of you have heard that. You could have probably quoted it with me. You probably, under your breath, did. But here's the thing. You've got to remember the last part of this, which is in who? It's in Christ Jesus. It's not separate from Christ Jesus. It's in Christ Jesus. It has to be in Christ Jesus. You see, when you and I truly become born again, something radically changes in our life. Our life completely changes it's not that we don't have that sin nature in us. We don't want to sin. Well, let me, let me back up a little bit. That's not entirely true. We want to not want to sin. There's a drive inside of us that we've never had before. It doesn't mean we'll be perfect. But it means we don't want to be who we were. We want to be someone much different than that. So he points out that all the Old Testament promises were theirs, but they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And they got up to a point, but when Jesus came, they didn't even recognize him. They wouldn't, they wouldn't tolerate him. That's what happens in religion. We set up all the do's and the don'ts, and usually we set up the do's and the don'ts that we ourselves cannot even follow. So then we have to pretend that we're following them. And we become hypocrites. And that's what they had done. They had set up so many things that they were supposed to do. So many hoops that they had to jump through that they started bending the law. And they started having to pretend that they were good, righteous, holy people. 
So they had to start wearing certain clothing and acting a certain way and demanding certain respect because they didn't deserve it. And they were supposed to be preparing the way for Jesus Christ. They were supposed to be preparing the way for the Messiah. All the religious people were supposed to be preparing the way for the cross. But they missed it. You know why? Because it wasn't inside. It was just a matter of jumping through the hoops. Okay, now he anticipates. I mean, Paul knows exactly what's going on here, and he knows what they're going to say. He knows what they're going to object to. So look at what he does there in verse 6. He says, but it is not that the word of God has, has taken no effect, for they are not Israel who are Israel. What? You can live in a country, and most of that country subscribe to a certain thing, but it doesn't mean you do. So that's what he's trying to say. Just because you are Israel doesn't mean that you're truly and honestly Israel. Just because we sit in a church doesn't necessarily mean we believe in the Bible. You have a lot of people today trying to deconstruct this. Trying to tell you this Bible verse is not really there and this chapter, you know, this book was not really written by, and this, this was probably, it's amazing when you can get so smart that you're smarter than the word of God. They had set up the rules, they couldn't jump through them, so they pretended as though they could jump through them. Verse 7, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. That's the vessel you don't want to be in. You don't want to be in that vessel who is just a child of the flesh, fulfilling everything you can possibly fulfill in the flesh, and even while knowing it makes you miserable. But you start going down that path and it's hard to get out of. There in verse 8 it says, that is those who are children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. What does that mean? It means that if you're born again today, you have all the promises that God made to Abraham. And you are not. Because they are fulfilled in his son, they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All that he is. So, Paul's going to show that being born into that doesn't mean it. If you were born into a Baptist family, it doesn't mean you're a Baptist, right? You're born into a Catholic family, doesn't mean that you're a Catholic. If you were born in a Christian home, doesn't mean that you followed Jesus Christ. Because we sit in church on a Sunday morning doesn't mean that we love Jesus. There could be all kinds of reasons why somebody, you know, begs you to go forever and ever and you finally relent and say, all right, I'll go to church with you. There could be lots of reasons. So, he's going to show these two paths illustrated in Jacob and Esau, but he briefly starts with Isaac and Ishmael, the two sons of Abraham and Sarah. Isaac illustrates the correct path and the other, Ishmael, represents man's attempt to please God without doing what he requires. Isn't it amazing that we can just like have nothing to do with God? And guys, we've been there. We've either done it or we work at a place where this happens. We want nothing to do with God. You can tell by the way we live our life and what, what we allow in it and what we do. But it's funny, something serious comes up in our, in our work or something serious comes up at home who do we go to? We go to the Christian and say, hey, would you pray for me? Have you ever, anybody here had that happen to them? I've certainly had that happen to me. I'm thinking, well, if you don't believe in God, why, why, should, we, why should we pray to him? We know we pray to him because we believe in God. Even for the sake of that other person that maybe doesn't know him. Okay, so, 
Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, who illustrate those two paths. There's two paths all the way through the Bible. You go all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It seems as though there's always two paths. There's two people, two things, two, you know, you've got Moses and you've got Pharaoh. That, that's a perfect example. Pharaoh could have let the people go, but he wouldn't. He kept saying he would, and then he quit. Saying he would, and then he stopped. Saying he would, and then he stopped. He could have any, at any point in time said, you know what, I want to do what God wants me to do. Got on his knees and said, God, show me what to do. And he could have let God's people go. But he didn't. He allowed his heart and his attitude to get set in his life. And it became that heart of stone. Look at verse 9, please, in Romans 9. For this is the word of promise at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, the children not yet being born or having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. And in Jewish history that doesn't happen. You know, the, the older doesn't serve the younger, the younger serves the older. But God's changing things here. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Wow, hate. <laughs> Today you can't even say anything, it's in opposition of anybody else without them accusing you of hating them. There used to be a time when we could allow each other to think differently and feel differently without even using the hate word, Right? Because it used to be that freedom we had, that freedom of speech that we had as Americans to express yourself, even if you didn't agree. And most people would say, well, I don't agree with you, but I still love you. And life would go on. But now everything is seen as a threat. I'm going to explain why God said he hated here. But let's go on with the verse here. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. He's illustrating these two paths even further. And as I said, we see this example of two people, boys or girls, they can be raised in the exact same home. Excuse me, they can have exactly the same, virtually the same environment, but one of them turns to the Lord and the other one turns away from the things of God. Why? Freedom of choice. Now, this one might be a little Star Trek-y for you or out there a little for you. But I want you to think of the nature of God. Could God be God if you could catch him off guard? Could God be God if you suddenly changed your mind and he didn't pick it up because it was too fast? No. So God knows what we are going to do every moment. He knows the choices that we're going to make. So when you hear that word predestined, do not think that means that God has predestined, predestined some to destruction. That's not what that means. What it means is this, is that you can turn around and change your mind 50 times. God knows every one of those decisions. He knows what it's going to be at the end. And he will use that to his honor and to his glory. Pharaoh had a chance he could have changed. Some of you will have a chance this morning to change. I had a chance to change. 
Hopefully every church in the world right now is teaching people an opportunity and giving them an opportunity to be able to change. And guys, you can't do it on your own. We can't do it on our own because if we could have, we would have already done it. It takes the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit to do that, which he promises to be able to give us when we give him our lives. God knows the hearts. Sometimes I'm really happy about that and sometimes I'm not. (laughs) Not only does he know our hearts, he knows the intents and our thoughts. But here's the thing, he knew all that before. He knew all that before. And he still gave his life for us. Now guys, I don't know about you, And even scripture tells us, you know, we might give our life for a good person. We might give our life for a really awesome person in our family that we love, but for a no good, low down, put whatever you want at the end of that. Would we give our life for them? And yet Jesus gave his life for everybody. Because God so loved the world, right? So, based on that path, God weaves all of that into his plan. It was Pharaoh that decided to set his heart like concrete. Maybe we have one or two here this morning that you've set that heart. There is no God. God wouldn't do this. God wouldn't do that. That's your choice. But you've got to realize it is your choice. Just like it was Pharaoh's. He could have changed his entire destiny if he hadn't set his heart in stone. But God gives us a chance to change that. Some of you guys have heard this illustration, or seen this, or read it before, but it's such a good example of what the vessels, the two vessels are, and the decisions that we make in our life. So it goes like this a comparison of the descendants of two men who lived in early America. One was the great Christian preacher and scholar, Jonathan Edwards. And the other was an unbeliever by the name of Max Jukes. Jonathan Edwards married a consecrated Christian woman and out of their union over a period of years came 729 descendants. Of these, 300 were ministers 65 were college professors, 13 were university presidents, 60 were authors of good books, 3 were U.S. congressmen, and 1 was vice president of the United States. Almost 70% of them made a positive contribution to society, and there was only one known oddball in the whole family. We all have one of those, right? It might be you. Now, here's the other one, Max Jukes. He was an unbeliever. He lived close to the Edwards in the same period of time. However, he married a non-believer, someone who did not believe in Jesus Christ. And they produced, over that same period of time, 1,026 descendants, 300 of whom died early in life. 100 went to prison for an average of 13 years each. 200 were public prostitutes. Another 100 were alcoholics. This family cost the state over $1 million and none made any significant contribution to society. What's the difference? Well, at least one of the huge, huge factors. One took the path of Jacob, one took the path of Esau. One decided to do what God had created him to do. And the other ones decided to do whatever they wanted to do. Look at Romans uh, 9.18, please. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, why does God still find fault for who has resisted his will? In other words, if if you're not careful, if you don't base it on what I've already said, you can say, well, then God just hardens who he wants. No, 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 no. God gives every, everyone a chance to soften their heart. But again, I want to point Pharaoh to you. 
I want to point to you, maybe your buddies, maybe your friends. They have an opportunity to change. They don't want to. They don't want to. And I, and I, I beg you this morning, be willing. Be willing to want to <laughs> for God to change that heart. Verse 20, but indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing that's formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Have we not said that to God? <laughs> when you become a Christian, you see, you don't have too many ways out. Before you're a Christian, you can blame it on your mom. You can blame it on your dad. You can blame it on an uncle. You can blame it on work. You can blame it on humidity. You can blame it on the temperature. You can blame it on politics. You can blame it, you can blame it on anybody, right? Poor me. Everybody's out to get me. When you become a Christian, you... you you know that God's in charge. And nothing gets to your life unless it goes through the desk of God. So there we go. I hit the button by accident. Sorry about that. Got too excited. I'm getting charismatic up here. But it's easy to, as Christians, we, as, we can say, you know, everything has to come through God's desk. That eliminates all the blaming of everything on everybody else. And we can only blame it or accept it on one individual, God. If God has allowed this in my life, he's either a bad God or he's a good God and I just don't quite get it yet. But we know that all things work together for good, right? For those that love the Lord, according to his purposes. We know that he's a good God. We know that he's a loving God. We know that he's a merciful God. We know that he wants good things for us. So you have to put all that in there and say, okay, well then why did you have this in my life? Because you are a better individual now. Because now you have, let me give you another example. With my little grandson, Roman, before Roman, I didn't know how to act around somebody that was disabled. I, I just didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know if I should go up and say, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't know if I was supposed to go up and say anything. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know if maybe something I would say would, would upset them or if I gave them a hug that that, you know, I didn't know what would trigger. I didn't know what to do. And so I didn't do anything. But that wasn't my heart. And now, with having a little Roman in my life, I'm a different man when it comes to that. I, can, I see beyond that. I can see the love. I can see what's going on. There's a young man over at uh, Calvary Chapel, the branch now. They used to be Calvary Arrowhead. There's a young man over there that I taught. I, I teach for Pastor Dennis once in a while. And after the service, he came up to me and uh, he had some uh, disabilities and he just gave me a hug. He just gave me a hug. He didn't, he didn't know me. And his mom and dad said later, he doesn't do that. And I firmly believe that's because of the connection that I've learned for my grandson. It changes you. The things that you've gone through that Satan means for bad, God means for good. It hurts sometimes because surgery hurts. Cutting out the old garbage and, and allowing God to make you into a, a soft human being again, sometimes that can hurt. But it can be really rewarding also. Indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor and the other for dishonor. In other words, God's God. We're not. We're not. The sooner we realize that the Messiah suit doesn't fit, the better off we are. The sooner that we realize we're the Mephibosheths of life. And you might go, who? What? Is that Peoria talk? He was a guy in the Old Testament that when his, uh, when he was being born, his caretaker, there was something going on, a war going on, and, and uh, 
she was scared, and as soon as he was born, she started to run with him, and she dropped him. And he spent the rest of his life as a cripple, because he couldn't walk. But when David came into power, even though he was a descendant of Saul's who chased David forever and wanted to kill him, David went to make good on his promises to Jonathan, who was David's son, that Mephibosheth with his, like his grandson. And he went to make good, and he had him come to the royal house, sit at the table, and be with the, at the king's table for the rest of his life. And not only did he do that, he restored all of the lands that he had lost, all the things that people had taken advantage of him for, he restored it all back to him. You guys, we can either be Saul or Mephibosheth. And what do I mean by that? There comes a time in our life where we have to humble ourselves and say, you know what? I'm crippled, I'm lame, I can't get around, and I can't do anything without Jesus. Because if it's the pride thing, well, I'm, I'm Saul, I'm this, I can tell God what I want to do. We're going to go through our life being an absolutely miserable individual. But when we can finally come to the place and say, I'm only alive because God allows me to be alive. I can only get out of bed because God allows me to. I can only breathe because God allows me to. That puts us in a really, really nice position to not feel like we're better than anybody else on the planet. And it puts us in a great, great place for God to be able to do the work that he wants to do. Look at verse 22. We're getting to the end here. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath? Prepared for destruction. That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared before for glory. Again, which vessel? Which vessel am I? Which vessel do I want to be? Pharaoh stands in sharp contrast to Moses. We see him all the way through. Esau, sharp contrast to Jacob. Am I a good person or a not so good person? I didn't say perfect person. But do my, th do my thoughts run to evil or do my thoughts run to doing good? Trying to be the, the, the person that God created me to be. You know, there's so many people that think Christians hate them because they disagree with them or disagree with their lifestyle. But I'd like to refer you back to Paul who says, I would give up my salvation if you guys could come to know Jesus Christ. We may be hated, we may be misunderstood, but I know a lot of loving people who give up a lot for the work of God and to see people come to know the Lord and come to know Jesus. I know a lot of good godly parents who <sighs> jeopardize their relationship with their own kids because they love them enough to tell them the truth. That's a tough one. If you've got little ones at home, enjoy them while they're little and they don't know everything because there will come a time when they do know everything. And you will be dumber than dirt for believing in God. You will. You'll be called names like, oh, you're a uh, fundamentalist. I told my son one time, I said, if, that, if you mean that, I believe that the, God, that the God of this Bible is perfect, then, yeah. If I believe that what's written in here is true, then, yeah, I am. You can call me whatever you want. I don't care what the label is as long as I have Jesus. That's all that matters. But folks, we don't hate the world. We love the world. Jesus loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We don't hate people because we disagree with them. But let me, let me ask this. If you really believe that the only way to eternity was Jesus Christ, wouldn't you want your best friend to know wouldn't you want your mom and dad to know? Wouldn't you want your children to know even if they reject you for a period of time? Because when you and I get to heaven, 
It's going to be the Lord that says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Maybe not some of our kids because they have freedom to choose. But that doesn't mean we give up on them. That doesn't mean we quit praying for them. That doesn't mean we quit loving them. All right, let me go through this very quickly here on verse 24. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Now, you don't say Gentile when you're talking to the Jews, right? Not in this time period. You just don't do that because they hated, they hated the Gentiles. Paul's done all of this and laid a, a platform to say, does this not also apply to the Gentiles? And you can imagine you know, the hair on the back of some people's necks is going to start standing up here pretty soon when they hear that, that term Gentile. And then he goes on and he says, as he also says in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people. I'm God's people. You are God's people if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. I wasn't God's people. But now we're his peeps, right? We are God's. I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. God gives you a love beyond anything you've ever known before. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved for he will finish the work and he will cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said, Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we should not have become, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. In other words, the, the Gentiles who didn't have the law, who didn't jump through the hoops, Shall we say that because they didn't jump through the hoops, they can still be saved? Yes. That's what he's trying to say. It's not about religion, guys. Religion is a system of hoops that none of us can jump through. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, righteousness has not attained. They haven't gotten there, even through all the laws. They haven't gotten there. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of of the law. You can either do it by works or you can do it by grace. I can tell you this. James says if you break one of them, you've broken them all. And who hasn't broken one of the commandments? Probably this morning. So we all need the grace of God in order to be able to make it. Verse 32. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Is Jesus your stumbling stone this morning? Pastor, what are you asking? Well, when I mention Jesus and I mention eternity is through him and you got to give your life to Jesus Christ, is there something inside of you that says, no way? <laughs> no way, I'm not giving my life to Jesus Christ. I'll have to quit this and this and this and this. He's your stumbling stone then. He's your stumbling stone. You come up against him and it's like, no way. But many of you already have come up to that stone. And he's your rock. He's your faith. He's your eternity. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. But whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we see with the group of people that Paul is talking to this morning or about, even with all the laws, they didn't have enough faith to believe in Jesus. Because it's not through the jumping of the hoops that does it. It's finally realizing that we are Mephibosheth. We need all the help we can get. We need and want to be able to sit at the king's table, but we don't deserve to sit at the king's table. So, Father, I pray that you would minister to our hearts right now. Which is Jesus to us? Is he that rock of stumbling or is he that rock of 
ages, the, the rock that uh, the church is built on. You see that rock that is eternity. If you're here this morning, and again, you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, I'd like to give you a chance to do that. Now, please understand what I'm, I'm asking and what I'm not asking. I'm not asking you to leave your church. I'm not asking you to give money to the church. I'm just asking you, where's your relationship with Jesus? Do you love him? Do you want him in your life? Do you want to change? Which one of those vessels do you want to be? So if you're here this morning and you say, I want to be that vessel of righteousness. I want to be the one that doesn't have to jump through the hoops and know that God loves me. I want him into my heart to give me the ability to change and be the man or the woman that God's designed me to be. Anybody here would raise their hand and say, Pastor, that's, that's what I want. Let me back up one step. I, I do this sometimes here at our church, and that is maybe you're not ready right now. But are you willing to be willing? Now, what does that mean? That means you're not making a commitment right now, but what you are willing to do is say, if he's real, I'm willing for him to show me. That was my first prayer. I couldn't make the jump. My first prayer was, if you're really God, I need to know, and I'm willing for you to show me. Anybody here at least in the willing to be willing stage for God to show you who he is? Now the second prayer, anybody here who's already at that place, ready to make that commitment? And lastly, are you a child of God, but you've just slipped away? Prodigal son, prodigal daughter, kind of doing your own thing. Dirtying up that vessel. And you want to just come home. They welcome the prodigal son home with open arms. So does God welcome his prodigals. Anybody here this morning that would say, I'm one of the prodigals? Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Anyone else? Father, may we know that you love us as your children. But may we love you back with just as much uh, fervor May we love you back just as much, Father, so that we can not make those mistakes and go down that path. May those who raise their hands know that you love them and you welcome them with open arms. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.